Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Christine Rosen is out this week. With us today, New York Post columnist Carol Markowitz. Welcome to the podcast, Carol. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. A pleasure to have you. And of course, we have you on uh, in large measure because you are one of the stalwart voices in in New York, in New York media, in New York City, in New York State, uh, about the uh, depredations and misbehaviors and misconduct of uh, the Empire State's governor, Andrew Cuomo, who was just delivered what may be uh, the crushing blow to his continued uh, maintenance of his office and his um, efforts to uh, garner the elusive uh, fourth term that that his uh, father was unable uh, to secure in a biting, stinging, Mm -hmm. crazily (laughs) detailed report on his workplace sexual harassment behaviors. Yeah. So Cuomo had done so much that has been unethical and possibly illegal um, and just wrong over the last 17 months. And yet he still has enjoyed a lot of support and his poll numbers have been pretty good. And even the, the media, which had turned on him a bit, is still not quite where they would be if he were a Republican. Um, so yesterday was definitely a good day for those of us who think that Cuomo has not been held accountable for a lot of his sins uh, over this time period. Um, so we should we should go into the. I don't want to go into the gruesome details because mm-hmm. the details are there. You can just go read them and hear about uh, his his misconduct, which is complicated because nobody is i mean there is i think one allegation of actual uh un, unambiguous physical abusive mm-hmm. behavior uh one one person who remains nameless in the report claims that he groped her breasts right um but there are several other cases all of which what they appear to document is what I refer to in the post I put on commentary magazine, commentary.org yesterday as a kind of power dominance fetish. There's yeah. a lot of handsiness, and he uses that in his defense, uh, as we'll, we'll get to. But there's a lot of use of his physical, uh, physical presence uh, in relation to other people that appears to be designed to say <laughs> he is the alpha, they are the beta. He is the powerful person, right. they are the weak person. And it seems to be very deliberate mm-hmm. and and multi-decade, <laughs> right? Right. So it's interesting. Actually, there's two women who accuse him of uh, overstepping into physical uh you know, touching. I guess one of them, uh, Lindsay Bolin, has been Boylan has been public with her name. Um, she says that he kissed her on the lips, um, and the other woman says that he groped her. So I don't know if those those are the two basically that are more than just words. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting because I think when the story first broke uh, of his sexual harassment allegations, a lot of people in New York media knew about his you know, what you just described, the alphaing and the bullying and the screaming and the, the, the being really aggressive with people. Um, and that was really an open secret, the way he would abuse people who dared cross him. Uh, this was just different because it, it did cross over into, you know, sexual harassment as opposed to just general harassment. Um, so, yeah, I, I think all of that has been known about him. I think all of us here have definitely heard stories over the years of his behavior in that way. I don't think that was much of a surprise to people. Right. Okay. But here, here's the thing. So um, politicians being, you know, bullying mm-hmm. and uh, trying to express their dominance and all of that. I mean, we just went through, we had a president <laughs> who did this for four years and longer, and it's one way that, you know, alpha males or alpha males who are absolutely obsessed with expressing themselves as alpha males, mm-hmm. thus suggesting that they may not naturally feel like alpha males, um, uh, do. And so people have, you know, sort of taken that in as part and parcel of 
what uh what an ambitious uh powerful uh uh, man who you know takes no prisoners and takes no fools and believes that life is a you know about a relation uh, about power relationships and that you need to be in the dominant position in order to get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you know like if you want to say okay like really the sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening so a powerful mm-hmm. man is going to try to express his dominance in some way or other but there is something uh, different here because and I I. I I have to put it this way. Cuomo is insane. And what I, what I mean, and I, I, I say that sort of joke, you know, it sort of sounds funny, but Andrew Cuomo is a, is an obsessive, vindictive, uh, monomaniacal, hyper-focused uh, person who seems to be driven as decades uh, of, I've followed him for more than three decades when he was in Washington uh, in the Clinton administration, when he became uh, the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, when he ran for governor for the first time in 2002, he has a very hyper-aggressive shading into psychopathy. And Mm -hmm. I, 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 I mean, I know I'm not a shrink and I shouldn't say this, but, but um, almost everybody who has ever dealt with him, uh, is terrified of him if they have any personal experience of him. He, when he was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, there was a bad Inspector General report about uh, his handling of a certain uh, Section Eight housing program, and he not only sought to have that Inspector General fired for the sin of reporting critically on his office's handling of this, but sought to have that person try. Uh, you know, brought up on criminal charges and and sent to jail. Like it wasn't enough that he, you know, this is somebody who was supposed to do this, right? right. Inspectors general are supposed to study. This was his, when his first major job on his own and out of his father's shadow mm-hmm. in, in, in politics. And that was sort of his introduction to life, and he kind of skirted away from that. He then ran for governor in two thousand and two, and had to depart from the race uh, because uh, he so mishandled uh, his attack on George Pataki, the then standing governor, whom he accused of holding Rudy Giuliani's jacket mm-hmm. and being a. Wi- it, it, there was something he just he doesn't know how to behave, which is one of the reasons why last year's emergence of him. As the love gov who loved everybody and was so you know outspoken and so incredibly great and all of that was so startling to his longtime observers mm-hmm. who had known in every way, shape, or form that this was not the person that he was being uh, portrayed as by the liberal media. Yeah, absolutely. I think when that <laughs> when Cuomo shifted gears into like. Cuomo, you know, just consoling New Yorkers. It, it was really startling. It was somebody we hadn't seen before on our TVs after knowing him for decades. Uh, but he managed it for a while. And I, I point to the time where he uh, flipped out on a reporter for asking whether there would be school the next day as the moment where he lost that, where he was unable to maintain that mask anymore. Um, I can't remember the reporter's name off the top of my head, but he basically asked, like, you know, will there be school tomorrow? Parents are confused. And uh, he went off. He was just like, you're confused. No, you're confused. It's not parents who are confused. It's you. Um, And that was the moment, I think, where a lot of people who hadn't been paying that close attention to Cuomo previously were like, wait, who's this guy? And that was, of course, the Cuomo that you're describing. Right. Well, that was Jimmy Vilkind of, right, the, of right, the Wall Street right. Journal. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, the whole point that I bring up here is that is that, in a way, the sexual nature of his uh, interactions with, with women, which is which is what makes this report so shocking that it seems to have been, you know, verified by by Attorney General Tis James. Um not that I want to, you know, downgrade or downplay that, but but it, I think it's less about it's less about that and more about just the way he interacts 
with everybody, but you add in the, uh, you know, the opposite sex component and you get into territory that is not only, you know, illegal based on federal and state law, uh, but is extraordinarily discomforting simply as a matter of sort of rational understanding. Abe? Yeah, just to stay with the the, the crazy uh, theme for for a second, because I think it it, it really is um, astounding uh, what he did this past year and a half. To me, the sort of craziest part of all this is that at the very moment that he was working and had instructed his office to work very hard and in very complicated ways to hide death numbers uh, from the federal government uh, and was being sort of pursued um, by some parties who were aware that this is what he was up to. That was the very moment where he couldn't stop also trying to raise his profile, be uh, center stage at all times and um, sort of try to elevate his profile to that of to that to something equal with the president of the United States. That to me is this sort of that's this kind of pathological game part of it to me that that jumps out someone who would who would want to do that simultaneous to to his um, doing something that is um, so problematic and potentially illegal. I mean, we shouldn't let the historical revisionism that is preferred by many of the people who averted their eyes from the disaster in New York at the time it was happening take hold. Observers knew in late March that something had gone terribly wrong, late March of 2020, that something had gone terribly wrong in New York State. The feud between Donald Trump and, and Andrew, uh, uh, Governor Cuomo um, began in mid-March, you know, the very outset of the pandemic, over death tolls, over the figures that were coming out of um, nursing homes. And Cuomo had faced a fair amount of criticism domestically inside New York for uh, you know, wrestling with uh, Mayor de Blasio and his decision to shut down the subways, this big, you know, hygiene theater with the subways, which was mid-April. Um, and a, a working paper in um, April, I think, 13th, 14th by an MIT economist said, you know, that that New York State's um, and New York City's lethargy and then um, overzealous response, you know, simultaneously toggling from being underreactive to overreactive to this crisis had contributed to the death toll. All of this was available to observers made by mid-April of 2020. Um, and we, people started writing about it in April and May of that year. So the notion here that nobody could have known anything until um, Albany started leaking the the Cuomo administration's repulsive behavior toward uh, uh, assembly members and legislators um, is just revisionist. It's simply not true. Now, we need to say that nothing about the COVID, the COVID, the COVID response uh, is implicated in what happened yesterday. None of it has to do with that. This was an investigation into Cuomo's personal conduct with female aides. And, I don't know uh, if you can say one would have happened without the other. Well, I, it, it doesn't matter because we 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 just that that is not what is going to happen here. We are not going to get a reckoning in relation to Cuomo and the nursing home death toll. It, 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 that may there there's been a lot of coverage of it. There's been a lot of writing about it. That is not what is going on here. And um, Cuomo's response, which was spectacularly weird. Uh, the Tis James, the Attorney General of New York, had a press conference with uh, the chief investigator that she had engaged to do this job, a former U.S. attorney, I believe, and uh, and Cuomo then issued a video statement uh, that had clearly been pre-taped. We don't know when. It looked like it was nighttime, which again was weird since it was released at one o'clock in the afternoon. And it was edited, and it was edited to feature dozens of pictures, or several pictures, let's just say, of him putting his hands on people's faces, which is also uh, a a key feature of the published document that he released in response to Tish James' report. So this this statement and the video were all done before Tish James's 
investigation was released. It was pre-done, pre-played. So it's not a response to her findings. It's only a response to what he knew based on what was reported Mm -hmm. she might mention and talk about. And so what is what was fascinating and where you get back to my craziness thing. And by the way, by the way, being crazy is not grounds for impeachment or removal. I, I'm just talking about trying to understand what where who he is and why this has all happened. Um, he said two very startling things. His chief ac- named accuser, Charlotte Bennett, uh, an aide said that he was abnormally interested in her sex life, that he made constant reference to the fact that she herself had been sexually assaulted in her presence and in the presence of others. And in the most startling detail, that at some point he ordered her to drop and give him 20. He wanted her to get on the floor and do 20 push-ups in front of him. Now, that's not sexual per se. Again, it's a dominance, it's a dominant submission fetish. And we know that it's true because we it, the, the evidence for it is a contemporaneous email that she said, disbelieving email that she sent to her parents saying, he made me do this. Now, is saying to someone, <clears throat> drop and make do push-ups in front of me? grounds for impeachment and removal from office i i i don't know uh but How often is, have you done that to like abe <laughs> have i abe, have i made you have i made you do i i mean that that would, that, be, that would be grounds for calling 911 <laughs> yeah okay so um anyway so that's one thing where uh where charlotte bennett's uh report on his behavior uh, which, again, sort of some of it has, you know, maintains a certain degree of ambiguity about what it is that he was intending. Um, but nonetheless involves conduct that is frankly jaw-droppingly weird and bizarre and 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 sexualized to some degree, but to a kind of weird degree. And then... His self-defense on the thing he knew people were going to say, he held my face or he kissed me on the lips or he held my face. He knew that because there were reports about that. And that was why he issued these pictures of him holding people's faces over the years and kissing them. And he said in the the report, oh, I, I should go back to Charlotte Bennett. He said of Charlotte Bennett, she was sexually assaulted. And she came to me and said she wanted to work for me because she was sexually assaulted. This was the issue of her. And I have a family member, he said, who had been sexually assaulted. And I remembered the powerlessness that I felt in relation to that sexual assault and how I couldn't do anything. And I was resolved to help Charlotte Bennett in any way that I could. And I guess he kind of said she took it wrong. Everything that I did was an effort to help her. I wanted to help her, and she took it wrong. And it's I apologized to her, but basically, she's crazy. She's crazy. All I meant was good, and she took it wrong. Okay, so uh, that was that's case number one that he sort of surfaces uh, a a family tragedy to defend his own mindset and his behavior that was totally fine and above board and unimpeachable, but that could be mistaken by, you know, a crazy deluded victim of sexual assault who is just overly sensitive or something like that. I mean, if you actually parse it, that's where it goes. Number two, the hands. So he's handsy and he learned it from his mother. He learned it from his parents. He learned it from his mother. His mother told him. He he said first his parents, and then he downshifted to his mother. Because anybody who knows Mario Cuomo knows he didn't kiss nobody. And he didn't put his, he wasn't kindly putting his hands on anybody's face. He was kind of a misanthrope, and he was kind of socially distant from people. And he didn't do any of that. So Andrew's line is, he put his hands on people's face as a gesture of love and support and this and that. And this is what the, who he is. He's the same in public as he is in private. And yeah, he put his hands on people's faces the way Michael put his hands on Fredo's face. <laughs> that's, a good, it, that's a good comparison. It is 
I am, I, I can do anything I want with your physical space. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. I violate your physical space. I touch you. I kiss you. Whether you want me to or not, this is not normal social behavior. I don't care if your name ends with an O. Your name can end with an O all you like. And you can, you know, and your mother, your mother is wonderful and, you know, doing all that. Um, if you're going to play that, you know, Italian handsy card, I'm going to play the Cor- Corleone card and say, this was not a kiss. This was a kiss of death. That's what Michael delivered to Fredo. And that is what, that is what Andrew delivered to dozens of people uh, who, to whom he expressed his, I, I can eat you soon as look at you uh, uh, behavior. So, uh, let's now talk about the consequences. Um, Carol, we have every member of the House, New York Mm -hmm. Congressional, Democratic Congressional Delegation has now called on him to resign. Yeah. The two senators have called on him to resign. Uh, Most major politicians in New York State, including the uh, Speaker of the Assembly, who will have to drop articles of impeachment if someone's to drop articles of impeachment have now said he should resign. Uh, he literally does not. Uh, and Joe Biden has right. called on him. Most to importantly, resign. the president. Okay. Uh, yeah. I still don't see him resigning. Uh, I think that video yesterday uh, is I'm a weirdo and that's my defense. And I think he's sticking to it. I think I, I, I I'll be surprised. I am willing to be surprised here. Um, he has lost every friend in the world, but he has seen other politicians survive. And I think that has sort of been the message of the last few years where if you just keep going, they'll go away, they'll forget about it, and you can move on in your role. And as far as New Yorkers are concerned, I, I think he probably still enjoys some level of support, which is crazy but true. There's a poll out this morning, a snap poll conducted last night. Right. You know, the heat of the news cycle. So you can expect, you know, <clears throat> this passion to fade, but uh, close to 60% of New Yorkers say that he should resign. But as you say, you know, he's a malignant narcissist, so that's unlikely. And he has the Ralph Northam, you know, uh, uh, example to fall exactly. back on. The question really isn't whether he has the stomach to bow out gracefully, but whether Albany has the, the stomach to impeach or move beyond the, uh, the, the impeachment investigation into proceedings. Okay, let's, and that's let's, a real open question in my view. Let's go into the Ralph Northam example because Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, uh, photos uh, came out of Northam or someone who looked like Northam, whatever, uh, appearing in blackface while he was in medical school almost 40 years before the revelation of the photos. 1982, something like that. He was in blackface. He needed to resign. Everybody said he needed to resign. He was like, I'm not going to resign. And um, so that's Ralph Northam. This is this bears absolutely no relation to that. The offense doesn't. What bears relation is that the bottom had fallen out for both of them in terms of institutional support within the party. Okay, but Northam's case is, I didn't do it. If I did do it, it was 40 years ago. And uh, and implicitly, and this was important in terms of this uh, sort of like frenzy over him wearing blackface, the implicit thing was every African-American in this state thinks that white people are racist. And they st- people still voted for me. A lot of black people still voted for me. Do they really want me to go? Do they want me to go because I was in blackface? They probably think I do. We all do blackface. That was kind of the kind of sotto voce excuse or re- rationale for him. I was elected. People chose me. You can't just drive me out because you you write editorials and you are, you know, and you're, you're sort of political figures running for the hills to protect yourself. Um, I, I, this happened, you know, this happened decades before I was even in politics. Go ahead, come at me. And they couldn't because they didn't have anything to come at him with. All of this relates to Cuomo's behavior as governor in the governor's mansion with state troopers and aides and young aides, and they're all women. They're all women. And and this is like 
if there had been 10 Monica Lewinsky's, Clinton would not have survived. There was one Monica Lewinsky. Whoever the other Monica Lewinsky's were did not come out. And by the way, she also didn't want to be Monica Lewinsky. Monica Lewinsky did not want her name exposed, did not want to testify against Clinton, did not want to do this. It was forced upon her. Charlotte Bennett, Lindsey Boylan, the trooper whose name we don't know, and the and the the four the other woman who whose name who says that he groped her breasts, they came out of on their own of their own volition to say he behaved in ways that are unacceptable and that do if they if, you know if they can be sort of substantiated do violate state and federal law not criminally. By the way, that's one of the reasons that Tish James, the attorney general, said she was silent as to whether or not he should be prosecuted. These are not criminal violations. They are workplace violations. The criminal would have to go to, you know, like whether or not he perjured himself in his uh, interview with with, uh, state officials. But, John? Yeah. In this case, there's actually not even one Monica Lewinsky, which is, I think— the way Cuomo is looking at it, he's saying I didn't. He's far. He thinks so little of these interactions. You know, he's 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 thinking. Well, it would be one thing if if yeah. we were talking we about sex. actual, or, yeah, sex, oral yeah. sex at the governor's mansion. Um, yeah, yeah, I hit on girls. Big deal. I'm staying. Yeah. I don't. I don't and think I, he thinks about it for a second. And I, I didn't I, even hit on them. And right. I didn't even hit on them. I just got my rocks off making them feel bad and showing them that I was the big guy and they were nothing. They right. were dirt. And also I have to say that, that poll to me, I'm not surprised by it, but 60% who w- want to see him gone in the heat of this thing strikes me as a very low number, actually. I mean, given all we know, given, given, you know, uh, how long this, the, the tide has been turning on him. Um, if that's the worst he does in a position like this, I don't think that's terrible for him. I, I don't agree with that okay. because um, when the revelations, when the Lindsey Boylan revelations and and the Charlotte Bennett revelations came out months ago, uh, his his poll numbers dropped slightly, but they remained well over over fifty percent. Uh, uh, and there was a big age gap, um, as usual in these cases. Like voters over fifty were like, "Yeah, what's the big deal?" And voters under 50 and particularly under under 40 were like, no, 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 you can't do that. Sorry, that's terrible. And so he was going to maintain maintained his support and he muscled through it. And then he said, well, there'll have to be an investigation, all of that. This is a big reversal for him. Remember, he won, won the governorship with well over 60% support uh, in his last election. And so he is in... Fine, you know, uh, if that reverses and if those numbers hold, all that needs to happen is for Democrats in Albany to not be afraid of him. That's all that needs to happen. If they believe that the boulder is rolling down the hill, all they need is to not be afraid of him to impeach him and remove him from office. So, I mean, yeah, go Um, ahead. One of the things that I think um, doesn't get as much attention, but I think is sort of one of the most egregious parts of this is that. He tried to destroy at least Lindsay Boylan after she came forward. Um, you know, he sent her information to various news outlets and said, "Here's her personnel file, and you know, do what you will with it." Um, and I, it's funny because you know, a tweet surfaced yesterday where Cuomo was, you know, obviously saying, "There's no." Uh, we should have zero tolerance for any kind of sexual harassment. It should absolutely be, you know, take the woman's word for it and that's it. And of course, you know, there's so many um, men who get accused that have similar statements, but it's interesting because he doesn't get that much attention for what happened next, which again is, you know, trying to go after these women personally. I'm sure it wasn't just Lindsay Boylan that he uh, did this to, but she's the one who's sort of been outspoken about it. I, I got to also talk about uh, one point in his statement where he hilariously, um, I'm sorry, hold on a second, uh, where he hilariously, uh, referring, but not by name, to his his chief aide, Melissa DeRosa, uh, an aggressive advocate on his behalf, which is to say that she, she, uh, she follows his psychopathic instructions to the letter, 
in terms of trying to destroy people and and harass people and terrify people um that you know these accusations against her were sexist and that he if there's a powerful woman who is doing things uh, a man would never get accused of being you know of having done terrible things so it's sexist for people uh with women to complain that Melissa DeRosa in the you know standing in for the governor uh did terrible things uh to them uh that's 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 sexism yeah um, i found that that line really hilarious also because everybody knows that Melissa is a bulldog and you know good for her in her role but she absolutely overstepped on Cuomo's behalf Right. Un, un, uh, unmistakably. And you know what else is unmistakable? I got to tell you that uh, you need to get ExpressVPN. That is unmistakable. ExpressVPN doesn't log your activity online. Lots of cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do this. They even developed a technology trusted server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. When you have a VPN, this is a way of masking of you, you, you click on an app and you do something and it, it, it hides your, uh, your IP address from the outside world and people who want to uh, exploit it. Uh, and ExpressVPN is one of these services and it's rated the best uh, by Seen at the Verge and many other tech journals. Um, ExpressVPN now uses Lightweight, a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. No technical skills are needed to use ExpressVPN. You just fire up the app, tap one button to connect. You know, uh, any any tech-phobic or tech-stupid or tech-confused person can deal with ExpressVPN. It literally comes up on your phone or on your computer or on your iPad or whatever as, a, as, a, as an on and off button. You press it and you are, you are shielded and you can do whatever you want to do without exposing your data. Uh, I've tried many VPNs in the past. They can sometimes slow my connection. ExpressVPN is always blazing fast. So, Protect yourself with the VPN I use and trust. Use my link, expressvpn.com slash commentary today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash commentary. Visit expressvpn.com slash commentary to learn more. So anyway, Carl Heasty, the, the, um, uh, the speaker of the New York State Assembly, the ball is now in his court Everyone's called on Cuomo to resign. I think we're all in agreement that Cuomo won't resign. He's got to see where this is going. He wants Ralph Northam to be the example. Um, And uh, by the way, maybe we should take two seconds to say what's good about Andrew Cuomo. Because just to to be fair, Andrew Cuomo has done for probably for very bad and crazy reasons some very good things while he was governor. The key one, Carol, in Europe, Europe, you're a New York school parent, was, and it seemed entirely based on his rage and hatred of Bill de Blasio, which started the minute that de Blasio was elected and started getting praised as the possible leader of the new progressives in, in the United States. He saved charter schools in New York City from Bill de Blasio, who, whose first act as mayor was an attempt to target and destroy the Success Academy schools. Yeah, I used to um, I used to think not, you know, not terribly of, of Andrew Cuomo for things like that. I, I saw him as sort of the the more normal Democrat in New York State, but I've really soured on him in terms of schools because I felt that over the last year he could have opened schools. He was in charge. He kept saying, I, "I'm in charge. I'm in charge." And then when it came time to open schools, he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm not in charge. You guys are in charge." Uh, so I, I really thought that I, and I want him to be remembered that, for that, because I think a lot of people don't realize that. I think they don't realize that Cuomo could have opened schools, period, end of story, and chose not to. And, uh, he likes to have the power when it's easy and he didn't want the power when it was a little tougher and he would have to, you know, deal with teachers unions and, um, upset parents or teachers. And he just hunted on it. And so, uh, I, I used to kind of think pretty positively about him and New York City schools and New York schools, but I, I can't forget what he did over the last year plus. 
I, I'm not saying we should. I've just wanted to point that out. And then two, yeah. two or three other things, which is that he is a guy who can get things done. He's gotten budgets done. And most importantly, at least for the future of, of New York City and in some senses the state, uh, he uh, spearheaded and led the drive to renovate uh, LaGuardia Airport, which which doesn't sound, you know, if you don't live here, you don't understand what a disaster oh, yeah. LaGuardia Airport was and how um, the new airport will be, fin- will be finished next year. It's being built you know, at the same site as the existing airport and being it's replacing it building by building. It's a very complex logistical job. It's a triumph. Uh, the Tappan Zee Bridge, which is a major artery for um, for commercial and suburban traffic and all of that in the United States, um, this is not just a, a, a local thing. Like this is how trucks get to upstate New York and stuff like that. Um, had to be replaced because it had it, it was one of those things that was going to crumble and fall into the sea. He got it built. Uh, he got the Second Avenue subway completed. So this, Abe, uh, you as a New Yorker, uh, do do you agree with me that you know if you're going to like look at a, a ledger sheet, you got to say, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't De Blasio, right? About whom nothing good can be said. That's right. No, and I, I look. I think it's particularly important to point that out uh, at a time when we don't know uh, the direction that the New York Democrats are heading in. We, 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 we may not see um, uh, sort of, uh, siloed competence like that uh, again anytime soon. So it's definitely worth mentioning. Um, and it's, but not even just as a New Yorker, I think it's just important. It's, I think, more interesting um, as anyone who looks at uh, any of these stories um, any sort of uh, news consumer, news cycle obsessive, it's more interesting to to see the contradictions in the in the person and and the the sort of the good and the bad. Not 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 because one negates the not because one you know wipes away the other. He is he is on balance a horror, I think. But right. um, but it's but it creates a more interesting and realistic picture to to give him credit where it's due. Okay, Noah, let's move on to the uh, Ohio special election uh last night uh where uh a a hard fought race between a uh uh progressive uh squad type uh democrat uh, uh sanders person uh ohio state senator nina turner was defeated by cuyahoga county councilwoman Chantel brown um this race had national implications. Do you want to uh, talk about it a little bit? Sure. <laughs> I suspect you have stronger thoughts on this than I do, though. Um, Nina Turner was a radical far-left progressive, <clears throat> so far-left that she had intimated in the primary that she would be a hostile uh, member of Congress vis-a-vis the Biden administration, that she would be a thorn in its side. Um, and she outraised her opponent dramatically. Two to um, one. Yeah, because she was such a, as you say, a national figure and somebody who had um, who had nationalized this primary race as part of her strategy. <clears throat> um, there were some signs early on, or later rather, co- closer to election day, not just in polling that we had, that we had seen, but signs from her campaign that they knew they were on the they weren't on a trajectory towards victory. Rather than she, you know, uh, Turner flew in. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and rather than hold, you know, big booming rallies, they decided to just door knock, um, which is suggestive of the uh, dubious uh, popularity of uh, the squad members outside the Acela Corridor and uh, cloistered media venues. And in the end, Turner lost. Um, it wasn't, it was close, but still not, not especially close for, to the point that you would call it a closely contested race. Um, her, her, she was defeated rather handily. And um, in her concession speech, Turner uh, denounced the malign influence of evil money that had corrupted this race. She, she did not, you know, very in a Trumpian fashion, did not accept legitimate, the legitimacy of her defeat um, because of the influence of evil money. Um, once again, we must reiterate, she outraised her opponent dramatically uh, to blame, you know, money for, for her loss. Okay, it's not but just her money. Her money was good money. Well, her right, money was it's, good it's money. Revealing. And 
what she meant by evil money was mm-hmm. Jewish money. Let's just let's just come right out and say it. What she meant was Jewish money. The Democratic Majority for Israel, a super PAC, a Democratic super PAC, went into that race because she is an anti-Semite. She is an anti-Semite. She's not only anti-Israel, she is an anti-Semite. She, is, she has said numerous anti-Semitic things, and she came out and in defeat said she was going to make sure that this didn't happen to anybody else like the way it happened to her because I'm not, I'm quote, I'm going to work hard to ensure that something like this doesn't happen to another progressive candidate again. We didn't lose this race. Evil money manipulated and maligned this election. And again, as Noah said, she raised almost $6 million. Uh, Shanta Brown raised $3 million. She had twice well, as much which, money. By the way, her totals are completely insane right. for a primary race in a congressional district in Ohio. Right. So she turned on the progressive Bernie bro Chapo trap house spigot and raised money from people who hate America and hate Israel and hate Jews and and that's one of the what it was part of her secret sauce and then Chantel Brown was the beneficiary of people horrified by the prospect nationally that an open anti-semite was going to win this primary and they came in and raised a lot less money but enough to keep her floating and she is a successful local politician with you know a track record of her own and she won fair and square and the accusation is that she is being propped up by jewish money and so jews in america who support the squad need to think long and hard about whether or not that sort of attack is the kind of thing that, you know, is going to exempt them when the revolution comes. Because they, the point here is the evil, not the money. It's not the money. They're, they did not raise, outraise her and outspend her and drive her to defeat. The point is that there was that money at all and that that money, because of its provenance, is evil. And so this was a very, in that sense, I think it was a very important victory uh, in, you know, in a sort of, in a, in a weird way. And But it's not just being taken as that. So I'm going with the Jewish angle. But, I mean, the general press is saying this is a triumph for the sort of, the Biden Democratic majority, because as Noah, you said, she said she was coming to Washington to be a thorn in Biden's side, essentially, right? I mean, that's basically what she said. She wanted to come and give Biden a hard time. And uh, the, the, the Washington Post headline is liberal wing candidate loses in Ohio Democratic primary. Uh, the, uh, the the lead of the article by Dave Weigel and Colby Ickowitz, Chantel Brown, a Democratic county councilor, dealt a devastating blow to the party's liberal wing Tuesday night. Devastating. I think it is an encouraging data point that the counter-revolution is somewhat underway. Uh, taken together with the increased pushback on crime in cities and uh, the walkbacks on um, defund the police, uh, the increased pushback among some people somewhere in the liberal sphere, pushback against critical race theory. Um, We're seeing good movement, I think, um, in all sorts of ways. Mm, Fits and starts. Absolutely. Um, Because if we're we're going into our final topic of the day, which we cannot avoid. um, Who wants to avoid (laughs) it? But I don't huh? think we should go there yet. Let's. Yeah, I know, but that's that's the counter argument. I know. To, I know. To Abe's, which I will lay out in yes. excruciating detail. Yeah. Okay. But just just I think this is a, uh, Tom Etzel has a, a as has a characteristically a very interesting piece in the New York Times today about how Biden's honeymoon is over, and uh, which actually also gets into what we're going to talk about, which is the which is the uh, a rental moratorium, um, but. Uh, the important point here is uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, congressman from New York, who is spearheading the fundraising and leadership effort in the effort to keep the House Democratic in 2022, 
had a meeting uh, with his colleagues in which he said that the polling is showing that they would lose the House if uh, today, if it were uh, today, uh, and that uh, almost everybody in the room hearing that says the reason is that the issue set that is now increasingly being associated with Democrats nationally um, is injurious to them in the upcoming election. That is crime, uh, disorder, uh, uh, the the border, uh, the sort of onrush of people at the border, and the inability to get COVID under control. Um, and all of those taken together uh, are, are, are creating a very hostile frame and field so that the Democrats, according to this uh, poll, that the that the DCCC took uh, are they're six points behind in the generic ballot uh, in the battleground states or in the, or in, in the places where there are actually serious races or something like that they're six points down and this is pretty early uh, for for a number that large um, and so that's the other green shoot that it's not just that you know oh this is the systemic pattern secular pattern. Party wins the presidency and then loses in the House. It is issue driven. It is that Democrats are increasingly taking positions or being or going to be held responsible for things going on in the United States that uh, that the American people don't like. And with that, let me talk to you about. I'm sorry, do I have the right? I don't, I think I don't have the right ad here. So I'm going to talk to you about our friends at the Bonson Group, dctoday.com and dividendcafe.com, those two newsletters I've been telling you about, one daily, one weekly, uh, providing the kind of analysis, macroeconomic and microscopic analysis uh, that is the writ and provenance of our friend David Bonson, who runs this $3 billion uh, financial management and services firm. Um, by coastally out of California and New York with an office in Minneapolis. Uh, David digs deep into the data and studies what is going on uh, on a daily basis in the dctoday.com and uh, on a sort of, let's say, on an annual or civilizational basis in dividendcafe.com, his larger and more analytical newsletter that comes out on Fridays. Uh, this is great stuff. It's important if you want to know what happened in the markets today and if you want to know what's going to happen in America tomorrow and how things are going with the supply chain and how things are going with inflation and how things are going with the Fed. You just can't beat it and it's free. So go to DividendCafe.com and sign up for these two newsletters from the Bonson Group, the antidote to the intellectual spaghetti of the financial services and management industry. Okay. Rental moratorium, uh, Supreme Court last month or six weeks ago or something like that ruled 5-4 that the rental moratorium uh, could stick around uh, until the end of July when it was due to expire, but that, it, but that effectively it could not, could not continue after that point. Um, and the four votes, so the, f- the five people said, let it stick around till the end of July, and we can't kill it immediately, but, it, but, it, but it's an overreach, uh, it's unconstitutional, and, uh, and so we'll just let it go unless, uh, give Congress, you know, a month to pass legislation saying that landlords do not, until the end of the pandemic, have the right to evict anybody. Um, and the Biden administration said it was going to abide by this, right? And then... Uh, Corey Bush of, uh, St. Louis, uh, Christine, the absent Christine Rosen's favorite, uh, freshman congressman, uh, slept out in a, in a, in a, in a lounge chair on the steps of the Capitol. And lo and behold, Joe, Bob Biden and the CDC announced that they were going to extend the rental moratorium, having acknowledged that it was unconstitutional five weeks ago. Noah, please rant. Yeah, time. I mean, <laughs> that was the most charitable, honestly, uh, very dispassionate and charitable assertions of. Well, I uh, wanted of, to of give you room. Had. I wanted yeah, to give um, you room to to, to go crazy. <laughs> sure. It was uncharacteristic, um, but also very news newsy, like a you know kind of a a news anchor. I'm going to be far less charitable. Um, <clears throat> I got to tell you where I was when this happened. So I was in my kitchen, noodling around making dinner for my kids and listening to Joe Biden. Um, uh, talk about, he was asked about this eviction moratorium a couple of times. One reporter 
asked him, are you sure it's going to pass Supreme Court muster? And Joe Biden said, no. Quote, the bulk of the constitutional scholars, he said he assembled a bunch of constitutional scholars around him to talk about the Supreme Court, how they're going to rule on this. He said, the bulk of the constitutional scholarship says that it's not likely to pass constitutional muster, Joe Biden said. However, he continued, there are several key scholars who think it may, and it's worth the effort. Um, I, my jaw dropped. I, I stopped what I was doing, transcribed exactly what I heard the second I heard it. Because it's not often that you hear a president say, you know, not only am I going to do something that's illegal, that violates the founding charter, um, but I'm going to do it knowingly. And I, I'm going to do so because, like he went on to say, in effect, that it'll take the courts a minute to figure out that it's uh, unconstitutional. And in the interim, this act of lawlessness can have the desired effect. Um, Brazen does not begin to describe this. It would be an assault on the dignity of the office and an offense to the oath, a violation of the oath, an impeachable violation of the oath that Joe Biden took in January. And it would be that even if it was done in defense of sound policy, this policy is not sound. It is morally repugnant. It has created and contributed to an 8.1% year-over-year increase in median rent price, which masks the scope of this, of the, of this damage because in, the, in most major metros, it's upwards of 20%. Inventory, it does not exist for rental um, for rentals, um, which is put, forcing people to put their lives on hold. It does not allow young people to start their lives. People who are um, uh, low-income renters are actively hurt by this policy. Uh, it is uh, morally uh, atrocious and, um, and an assault on the social compact for property owners who have investment properties who now have squatters living on their properties. I mean, it doesn't take you long to find horror story after horror story after horror story about people who can't get rid of the people who are, are not paying them rent, not taking advantage of the programs that allow them to bridge income and pay the, their property owners. Um, and, and what's more, uh, it is uh, generally um, an assault, I think, on the idea that we're ever getting out of this. The justification, if there ever was one, for this kind of policy no longer exists. The job market is glutted with openings. Employers are desperate to hire people. The notion here that there's an economic crisis on our hands as a result of COVID is fanciful. It's solipsistic. Um, and for Joe Biden to engage in this policy, to, to, to do so with such naked contempt for norms and law uh, in defense of a, of a bad policy that's creating distorting effects and, and uh, making hypocrites of the people who have to execute this policy uh, is a travesty on so many levels. And the fact that we've just seen from the press, you know, sort of like, well, this is a bold and decisive move. Okay. Most, you know, lawlessness is. You're, you're very rarely going to find a criminal who's just sort of like wavering on whether or not he's going to commit a crime. This is a crime. This okay. is an assault on the Constitution. I, I, I just hey, want to point out that um, it's not actually about COVID. Um, the demonization of landlords and landowners um, has been a critical part of every left-wing revolution uh, that we've seen. Uh, in, in It's Bolshevism. Going back entirely. And don't forget, when people were saying uh, defund the police last year, they were also saying... Um, Abolish the rent, right. which which got less attention because it, it's not identity based and whatnot. But this that is very much part of what was going on in in all the upheaval. Okay, I want to talk about this question of landlords because I looked up the numbers because you know that's the I'm a journalist and I'm I I do the shoe leather reporting that you know difficult going into Google and typing in something and getting a number right back in five seconds. There are 44 million rental units in the United States. There are 8 million landlords. 8 million landlords. In many ways, what this suggests is that the vast majority of landlords are renting out the basement apartment in their house. They own one unit. They own two units. They own a fractional in some building that they bought with their relatives, something like that. These are middle-class people looking to support themselves. This is small business 
this is a small business venture being a landlord. Um, this is a war on middle class people who rent out their houses, rent out parts of their houses, or have a little bit of investment income, and they bought it, they bought something and they rent it out. That's what it is. And let's get let's be clear about what about the eviction moratorium and what it means. When we didn't know what was going to go on with the economy. And the question was not only what what was going to go on with the economy, but would somebody be evicted from an apartment for non-payment who had COVID and then would wander around looking for another apartment, going into other ones to look at them and then spread COVID? So the idea was everybody needs to stay inside. We want everyone to stay inside. It's lockdown time. Nobody should be have to look for an apartment. There's an eviction moratorium. It's now been a year, more than a year since that. And uh, aside from everything else, no landlord is going to evict somebody who is paying their rent. You evict people for non-payment of rent. Every single person who is implicated in the eviction moratorium because a million people need to be evicted, according to the number I saw yesterday, are people who are squatting. As Noah said, they are not paying their rent, despite $600 a week in unemployment and money that is going from the federal government to the states as subventions for rent and welfare payments at the state level in various states for help with payment of rent and landlords who just want to be made whole. This is not like, oh, nice law-abiding people. These are people who are deliberately defying the law and deliberately defying their contracts, and and the federal government is interfering with it. And this is, again, something where you could have a sotto voce citizens movement that no one will see coming. Eight million people are being screwed Mm -hmm. by the Biden administration with this extension of this emergency. You think that's not going to have consequences at the ballot box? That's a lot of people in the United States. That's a whole mess of people, all of whom have their livelihoods threatened, not just their livelihoods, but like they've got mortgage payments to make based on what it is that they own. Yeah, it's not just property owners. I wish, you you know, the more honest Bolshevist argument is, you know, down with the landlords and, you know, all all power to the Soviet. Um, But But the... I'm sorry, Carol. Okay. No, I was going to say, it's funny that they think that that's what's going to happen when, in fact, Blackstone is going to end up owning everything. <laughs> right, precisely. Not, and that's the no other... landlord. It's going to be like four landlords, and they're going to control and own everything. And it won't be quite as like the mom and pop downstairs who, you know, kind of feel sorry for you and uh, won't have like a thug come to your house and get you out. So. Yeah, foreign consortiums. Yeah, your house will be owned by Dubai. Um, no, the, the other argument you get are very small, very smug uh idiots who say, well, you know, an investment property is a, is a risk and there's no guarantee of return and of reward in your investment. As though this was a market effect, as though this was just, you know, capitalism run amok. Um, these dopes who perceive themselves to be so sophisticated that they can make, you know, r- really clever arguments um, are contributing to, as you say, John, I think the conditions that will yield a, a political backlash, not just among, you know, the, the people who saved up enough money to have an income property. Um, or the people who are, you know, selling their house rather than renting it, because there's no incentive to rent at all. And housing prices are absurdly high because of this intervention into the economy. But renters, renters who can't move out, who can't find a place to live, who are whose families are now jeopardized by the, the scarcity uh, and lack of in, in inventory in the rental market. Um, all that contributes to a sense of unease. Okay, we've got to talk about one last element here, which is uh, the provenance of Biden's decision to go against what he said, which is that they weren't going to, they would abide by a Supreme Court decision that found that it was okay to go on for another month, but that after that it was not okay, okay? Because of, for constitutional reasons, it was set to expire. It expired. Congress did not make a law advancing it. And now Congress was demanding leftists, Cory Bush, uh, the squad, Maxine Waters, are demanding that Biden do this unilaterally when they, as the representatives of American Congress, did not do what the Supreme Court effectively said, which is, okay, you want this to continue? Pass a law, then we can talk, because we'll, you'll be in a different constitutional framework in relation to this. That didn't happen, and it went on. So what is the story here? And the story is the revolution 
that Barack Obama initiated and that Donald Trump continued, which was they didn't like that Congress wasn't doing anything. And so when Barack Obama said, Congress has gone crazy and it doesn't work anymore, and I have a pen and I have a phone and we can't wait. We can't wait. I'm going to govern by executive order. And in time and again, and particularly in relation to the Dreamers, he made unilateral law from the from the Oval Office that the Supreme Court and various co- other courts knocked down very decisively, saying, I'm sorry, that's not how America works. Laws are passed by the legislature and administered by the executive who signs them into law, and you can't make law. You are the president. You can't make law. And and Trump became president, had no interest in these niceties either, and continued on this path of, you know, sort of like using executive orders and declarations of this sort to advance lawlessness. And now we are three presidents in to lawlessness as a political strategy in order to claim, tell your base that you are doing what they want you to do. Okay? And Biden, they... They know that they know that what they're doing is illegal. They know that it's illegal. They they acknowledge that it's illegal. Maxine Waters said that was a mistake, though. I mean, let's be honest. Okay, but Maxine <laughs> Waters <laughs> said Maxine Waters said lawful President George W. Bush. Yeah. <laughs> Maxine Waters said, "Who's going to punish you? If who's going to stop you?" She said, "If you do this to Joe Biden." Well, welcome to the Banana Republic, everybody. Who's going to stop the president from take from 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 this unbelievable taking well, and this Congress interference che- in the private Congress market? Congress is cheering this only because they're too sclerotic to violate the Constitution themselves. Exactly. Not, not that I, you know, not that this excuses anything, but it, when Trump did overstep things, there were people on the right. I mean, some people in this room um, that spoke up and said something. Where are the similar people on the left speaking up to say that this is unacceptable? This is not who we are. This is trampling on the Constitution, etc. Anyway, I think the point here politically is that Biden found himself, finds himself, as Tom Sensel said, that his honeymoon is over. Uh, things aren't going, things have suddenly turned sour for him, largely, I think, because of the new numbers in the pandemic. Uh, and and he uh, is worried about losing that base. He is worried about the Democratic base for the first time. He shouldn't, because being standing in opposition to the base is actually his superpower, in my view. But I'm not his I'm not his political advisor. They know their party better than I do. And uh, and he facing down a challenge on something that was is not anything that most people care about because. The overwhelming majority of people in America pay their bills. That was part of the discovery of how the Tea Party started, which is this notion of, oh, you know what? If you can't pay your mortgage, uh, we'll, 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 you know, don't worry about it because if you don't pay it, you'll still be able to stay in your house. That was the beginning of the Tea Party in 2009. 92% of people pay their mortgages on time and you're going to rewrite existing contract law over eight centuries in order to help the 8% who don't? Not fair. That's what Rick Santelli said. That's not fair. And it's not fair if the vast majority of people are paying their mortgages and paying their rent to have a rental moratorium that allows people to squat. That, aside from the landlords, that is just... And so Biden is giving in in a very weird way on an issue that does not help him as far as I'm concerned, with the voters that he needs and they need to save them uh, in 2022 and 2024. And with that, let me just quickly talk to you about Made In. How does your favorite restaurant consistently make such delicious food? The short answer, they have access to the right kitchen tools with Made In's professional quality cookware and kitchenware. Anyone is capable of making restaurant quality food at home. If you're serious about cooking, you should invest in your kitchen tools. Maiden's cookware and kitchenware products are used by thousands of the world's best chefs. I tried their knives, and they are unbelievably good, sharp, consistent. They do exactly what a knife you want a knife to do. And that's, as you know, if you try to do knife skills in, in your home, that is not easy. If quality and craftsmanship are important to you, you should check out Maiden cookware and kitchenware brand that works with renowned chefs and artisans to produce some of the world's best pots, pans, and wine glasses they source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools. Products made to last, a lifetime guarantee. 
Cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven. Knives fully forged, perfectly balanced, and stay sharp. 32,000 five-star reviews. Right now, Maiden is offering our listeners 15% off your first order with promo code COMMENTARY. This is the best discount available anywhere online for Maiden products. Go to maidencookware.com slash commentary and use promo code COMMENTARY for 15% off your first order. That's maidencookware, M-A-D-E-I-N cookware slash commentary. Use promo code commentary. So Carol Markowitz, it was so great of you to join us. Is there anything you want to say that you didn't get to say um, on this yeah. podcast? I, I think uh, I think we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me, guys. I love the commentary, and I, I think all of you are awesome. So thanks so much. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you for providing us with your, with your New York-centric uh, right know, until I, I moved to Florida. <laughs> well, you're you're moving to Florida because New York has let you down, right? Not, potentially, yes. P- potentially, right? Uh, well, uh, Abe and I are are here for the for the duration. Maybe who knows? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, for Abe and Noah and the uh, absent Christine Rosen, I am John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.